Let me ask you a question. If you could share a meal with anybody in the world, let's say living or even dead, who would that person be? Just think about it. Anyone in the world, any person throughout history, who would that be? You know, enjoy a nice, delicious meal, great conversation, maybe even a few hours together. Who would that be? Now, let's just say I, I imagine there might be a little bit of tension, feeling like, well, this is like a church gathering and service, so maybe we need to say Jesus, because Jesus is kind of the right answer for, it seems like, every church question. So let's just say you don't have to say Jesus. I mean, you can, but please don't feel the pressure of saying Jesus just because this is a church service. Who else would be? Let's just assume Jesus is everybody's number one. Who else would you pick? So for me, I'd say Neil Young. So some of you may like Neil Young, not like Neil Young, know of Neil Young, or maybe you don't even know of Neil Young, but Neil Young's a singer who kind of came up through the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. He's still going. He's an old man now. And I have always loved him. I've loved his music. I've read books by, about him, by him, interviews, magazines. Like Neil Young, for me, just has always grabbed my attention. So if we say Jesus is our number one, but there's one other person we could hang out with and spend a meal with, it would be Neil Young. Now, he's a bit of a love him or hate him. Like, I love his music, his songwriting, his lyrics. I even really enjoy his voice. But my wife would say he sounds like an animal that's being hurt when he sings. So it really depends. But for me, Neil Young would be the person I would love to share time with other than Jesus. So I know, I know even for us, the idea of sitting around a table and being together with people feels like a, a dream. It's been so long for many of us to have that opportunity. So I recognize it's out there and it feels like maybe it's not even going to be real. But what I want to talk to you about today is this really interesting walking conversation that Jesus has with two people and then a meal he shares with them. It's one of my favorite stories in scripture. Normally we talk about it most right after the Easter season, so it's, it's fitting for us to address it now. So this is like a walk and talk kind of um, really interesting interaction between Jesus and these two people. Um, so if you have your Bibles or your app, flip to Luke chapter 24. Uh, and as you do that, I also want to just by way of greeting say, um, if we haven't met before, my name is Matt Vincent, and I'm really happy to be here with you uh, today. I, the last time I was with Westside was Sunday, March 8th, uh, right before the pandemic hit. If, if I'm right, it was the last service you guys had in this building in person together. So I know the pandemic wasn't my fault, but in some ways I kind of shut the place down. And I think if Dave had known, I assume, if Dave had known that the pandemic was coming, he probably would have asked someone else to speak so that it ended and the send-off was a little bit better. But I'm really glad to be back, and I hope post-COVID to be back again sometime with you when we can all be in person. But I um, just wanted to say it's great. I love the West Side group and really have appreciated getting to know uh, Dave and Zach and their work and leadership at the church through these unprecedented times. So... Big, uh, big shout out, big fan of, of everything you guys are about. So Luke chapter 24, I'm going to read through it, pull a few things out, and uh, we'll see what we can discover about um, what was happening in the life of Jesus and these early followers of Jesus and how that might inform and shape us today. So Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 13. Um, this may be a familiar story to some or brand new, so we'll just kind of work it through and see what comes up as we go. So here we go, Luke chapter 24. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. 
As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. So when it says that same day, it's important to know like what same day are they referring to. So without having the whole context, it might seem, well, what same day? So this is the day. So Jesus has been crucified and he's been buried. And then that same day is when the women are going to the tomb because they want to anoint Jesus' body with with uh, perfumes and oils and spices. And when they get there, they realize Jesus is not there. And they encounter this angel who says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And they run back and tell the other disciples, like, Jesus isn't even there. His body's not even there. So this is that same day then. So for whatever reason, we don't know. These two disciples, these early followers of Jesus, are leaving Jerusalem where all this stuff has taken place and are heading to this place called Emmaus. And they're on the road and they're walking. And you can imagine anytime two people are walking after experiencing this really traumatic, um, emotional few days, they're going to be talking about it. They're discussing it. And all of a sudden, Jesus, uh, and they don't know who Jesus, like it says God keeps them from recognizing Jesus. All of a sudden, Jesus is beside them and walking. So sometimes when I read different parts of scripture, there's certain things that jump out to me. Maybe it's just my imagination or the way I'm wired in a weird way. But I, I think in terms of our culture today, the idea of someone just falling in stride and all of a sudden like a stranger walking beside you just makes me feel a little awkward. So let me just play this out for you. Um, if you're at a busy intersection and you're at a crosswalk and there's loads of people like you're downtown Toronto or something and the light goes and everyone can walk, it doesn't matter your speed because you're surrounded by people. But imagine you're at a crosswalk and it's just you and maybe one of your friends and you're waiting and all of a sudden a stranger comes up beside you and then the light changes and the walk signal is given to you and you start walking. If you're at the exact same pace, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, it feels really awkward because all of a sudden now you're matching each other step for step and you don't, you're not walking with that person. And so usually what happens is one, one party or the other will speed up their pace in order to create a little uh, separation and distance. So when I'm reading this, I think of these two friends walking and discussing like really intently everything that's been going on. And this stranger all of a sudden shows up and kind, kind of begins just to track along beside them, listening in. And I'm like, man, in this day, that would feel really weird. I don't know in that culture if that would have been weird, but it strikes me as really interesting that all of a sudden this person joins in and starts following and walking along, but they don't know who it is. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 17, he says, uh, he asked them, meaning Jesus asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? So clearly, as he's walking with them, he knows they're really getting into stuff. Maybe it's the, the way they're talking, the emotion, the seriousness. Whatever they're doing, he's asking them why they're talking. What are they talking about so intently? And then it says, they stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. So you can just tell that when Jesus asked them, hey, what are you talking, like, what is grabbing your attention? What are you talking about? They're like shocked. They can't believe they're like, what do you mean? How do you not know? Who are you? And how can you miss all these crazy things that have been happening in the city of Jerusalem over the last few days? How, who are you? Now, as a dad of uh, a 17-year-old, a 19-year-old, and a 15-year-old, um, my kids often give me the look like, who are you and how can you not know? 
This happens now on a fairly regular basis as they get older and I get older. Um, so most recently we were watching the Grammy Awards, which are the music awards. We love to watch, we're a big music family. Um, and so we love to watch the awards together. And most other times in my life when artists come on, I know who they are, I listen to the music. But I've noticed the last few years, like the gap has been growing between my ability to know who people are and listening to the music. And never before so much as this year where I just realized I'm so out of touch. So some of them I knew who they were and the performers and it was great. But there were several occasions where different artists got up and they were performing and doing their songs and our, my kids definitely knew who they were. And when I asked like, who is this person? Or if I happened to critique how terrible I thought the songs were, they would just look at me like, who are you? How have you missed this? This this international star that everyone knows about, everyone listens to their music, they're on the Grammy Awards for crying out loud. How do you not know? And that's what comes to mind when, when these disciples are like shocked that Jesus is asking them, who are you talking about? And seems to not know the significant things that have just like blown apart their life. What they were a part of, what they witnessed, Jesus' arrest and crucifixion and death and burial, like this has completely upended their world. And they're like, how... Like, how do you not even know this? Um, it's kind of that look my kids give me. Anyways, verse 20, it says, but our leading priests, they continue to give an explanation. It says, our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. All this happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. They had seen the angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone just as the women had said. Now, I think it's really important in verse 21. As they're explaining who Jesus was, that he was a teacher, he performed miracles, he was like this prophet, this really amazing person. Verse 21 says, we had hoped he was the Messiah, so what they're telling, yes, they're sad. They've lost a friend. They've seen their friend die. Now that friend's body is gone. This angel says he's alive. They're all kind of mixed up about that. But they really reveal, uh, reveal kind of what's at the core of their longing and their sadness and their concern is that we had hoped he was the Messiah. And this is so deeply rooted in the, uh, in the fabric of the Jewish people as they were waiting for God to send this uh, Messiah, this anointed one, this, this Savior, to come and rescue them. And in their kind of mindset, they thought this would be the person who would overthrow the Roman um, occupation. They were under the rule of the Roman Empire, and they thought the Messiah would come and set them all free. So it's interesting that they had this expectation and hope of who Jesus was. And when he died, and now that his body's gone, it's kind of like their hopes and their dreams of, of rescue are dashed. Little do they know that he is in fact the Messiah and the kind of rescue he's bringing is in a whole different way than they would have imagined. But it, it kind of reveals like their hope and their dreams have been dashed because of what has happened recently. Then Jesus says to them, verse 25, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory. Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So now Jesus kind of snaps them back to reality. He says, wait a second, you're missing everything that's right in front of your faces. And he begins to kind of walk them through the writings of Moses and the prophets 
And for the Jewish people at the time, this was their scripture. This was the Torah then. This was the story of the people of God, the nation of Israel. And so Jesus then starts taking their scriptures, the Torah, and starts highlighting, I imagine, all the things that maybe they had missed that in fact are pointing to who he, who he is, who Jesus was. Like all these things come to this point. All these stories, all this information, all this through the Old Testament scripture comes to who Jesus is. And it's like, hey, how have you missed this? Let me now explain. So you can imagine they're walking and they're talking and Jesus is explaining. He's turned this into this really important teaching moment. And yet they still don't know who Jesus is. They just think he's some random stranger who they've met who seems to have this really amazing insight into the scriptures. And wow, he's like explaining all these things to them. And... Um, I don't know if there's other people on the road walking with them, but again, I imagine if, if they're having this intense conversation, now Jesus is teaching and explaining scriptures, I imagine that maybe there's some other people who are walking up beside them also on the road, maybe hearing what, you know, the level of intensity of the conversation and the teaching, and they probably sped up their pace to get away from it. Because it seems like this was a really uh, important and intense kind of teaching and explanation that's going on. And so this is going on the whole time they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which um, at an average pace, would probably be about a two and a half to three hour walk. So they have a, a good chunk of time here to be having this conversation and to be learning these things from this stranger they met on the road. And then it says in verse 28, by this, uh, by this time they are nearing Emmaus at the, uh, and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he was going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. So hospitality in the ancient world, uh, Middle East, was like a high, high priority and value. You would extend hospitality to the stranger. If someone, didn't, someone came into your town, didn't have a place to sleep, it would be expected that you provide safety for them and a place for them in your home to share your meal with them, to welcome in people. Um, this was just a regular part of the practice for the people of Israel. And so as they arrive at their destination, they probably, maybe they were returning home or they had arranged a place to stay or they had friends there. Whatever the case is, they knew where they were going and had a place to stay. And so they offer and they say, hey, you know, to Jesus, the stranger that they still don't know is Jesus to say, hey, you should come and share our shelter and share our meal. And, and so Jesus does that. And here's what I love. I love that they're at the table and they're having this meal together. And then Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. And he blesses it and gives it to them. And it's at that moment then that their eyes are opened and they recognize who he is. And this is what they say. Verse 32, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem where they then find the other disciples and, and give them their story and hear from the other disciples that yes, in fact, we have had an appearance of Jesus ourselves. And so there's all this groundswell of excitement, like something is happening, Jesus' body is gone, and he's now appearing to his closest friends and disciples. But it's around the table that Jesus reveals himself, and, and then they look at each other and they're like, hey, oh my goodness, now it makes sense as we're on this road and we're traveling together, walking with this stranger, that now we recognize it's Jesus. And, and our bodies were telling us that something special was happening, even though our eyes couldn't fully recognize Jesus. And I just think it's this, this amazing walking conversation and mealtime. And I think it's really significant that this 
um, revelation of who Jesus is happens when they're at this most human time together, sharing a meal and sitting around the table together. Um, let me share a few things on that idea that have really jumped out to me. Uh, so I've been thinking about this idea of a table and the importance of the table for maybe the last six or seven years in a real focused way. Um, first, a quick story. When I was in um, grade 11, I started at a new high school, which isn't that big a deal. Uh, people move and change schools all the time. For me, I had been living in Toronto with my family. So I finished grade 10 at a high school in Toronto, and then I went to work at a camp for the summer. And then when, I, uh, when the summer ended and I went to my parents' new house, because they had moved while I was away at camp, all of a sudden I started at this new high school. So uh, inner city school in Toronto to this uh, more small town uh, high school in, the, in a town called Meaford up in Georgian Bay, Ontario. Uh, this real different kind of clash of worlds. Um, and I'm okay with change. I, I kind of roll with things pretty easy. That wasn't the, the biggest part. The, the most difficult thing I found about the transition, though, was those first couple weeks when I, it would be lunch hour and I'd go into the school cafeteria and I'd kind of scan the hundreds of students and all the tables throughout the cafeteria and I'd have no idea where to sit. I just wouldn't know where I belong. So do I sit with these strangers or those strangers? Because I didn't know anyone in the room. I didn't know anyone at the high school. And so mealtime felt like a really awkward and um, kind of a stressful season until I got to know some people and made some friends and I had a sense of welcome at their table. Because what I realized, I didn't realize it fully then, but as I've been thinking more about this idea of table, is that how we eat together and who we share our tables with um, reveals a lot about who we are and how we belong to other people. It, it teaches us a lot about connection. And it for me, in that grade 11, first few weeks of school, I realized, like, I don't know how I belong, where I fit in, and I don't know who to sit with. It was a really, like, difficult, stretching time for me. Um, if you read through Luke's gospel, that was one story in Luke's gospel. But if you read through Luke's gospel, the really interesting thing that stands out is that Jesus is either on his way to some kind of a dinner party, he's at a dinner party as you're reading the story, or he's just leaving some kind of a banquet or dinner party. All throughout Luke's gospel, if you take a look at it, he's on his way, he's at the party, or he's leaving the dinner party. And I don't think it's just like some strange coincidence that the author of the gospel thinks like, oh, let's just throw in these stories. I think he's telling us this because so much of who Jesus is and the way he reveals himself and his mission and his ministry happens around the table with people. It happens as they're sharing this very human thing, a shared meal. Um, Christine Poole, in her book, Making Room, Recovering Hospitality as a, uh, a Christian Tradition, she says this, A shared meal is the activity most closely tied to the reality of God's kingdom, just, that it, just as it is the most basic expression of hospitality. A shared meal is the activity most closely tied to the reality of God's kingdom. There's something really special about sharing a meal and being at the table with each other. So let me give you three things that have stood out to me, three categories that I've used in my own thinking uh, as I approach Scripture and, and read Scripture and think about how the early church was established and how Jesus set these uh, principles and practices in place. The first one is the table was always, being, uh, was always a place of welcome. So whoever was the host throwing the banquet, um, setting up the dinner, whoever they invited, that table became symbolic of a place of welcome, that everyone who was there was welcomed. And think about anytime you're around a table, the really cool thing about a shared meal and a shared space as you're welcomed in is that everyone's kind of equal. 
Think about it also maybe in a circle, a circular table. That's probably the best mental image. Is because when you're on the table, there's no head or foot of the table. Everyone pulls up a seat. Everyone looks each other in the eye. Everyone shares the same uh, food. And there's a sense of like welcome. Like you've been, uh, your presence has been anticipated. They're prepared and ready for you. And so you're just welcome to the table. And that gives a feeling of like, um, just like belonging and humanity. Like I, I'm welcomed. I'm I'm anticipated. I, I, belo- I belong here. It's really cool. They, I'm being welcomed at someone's table. That's really, really special thing. On a human level, it's a special thing to be welcomed to the table. And that tips then into the second thing is that the table is a place of belonging. So not only are you welcomed, but as you're there, as you're sitting at the table, now you find this sense of belonging. And it's about identity. It's this, thing, it's this feeling of saying, not only were they ready for me and did they invite me and provide a welcome for me as I pulled up a chair, but there's also this sense of belonging as I sit here. Like, I belong with these people around the table. Like, they're, they're encouraging me and listening to me and getting to know me. And on a human level, we may have different stories and backgrounds and traditions and ideas and culture and all these things, but there's a sense of belonging that comes as I sit at that table together. It, it breaks down the sense of hierarchy or uh, cultural expectations or things that we used to separate us that all of a sudden when you share a meal, you have the sense of belonging, like, you see yourself in the lives of other people, and you start to get to know who they are. You see themselves as being uh, an equal image bearer of the divine, that this other woman, this other man, also bears the image of God. And you see them in a whole different light. It, like, breaks down these boundaries. Um, and then the table is a place of welcome, I said, a place of belonging. And then I also think it's this place of mission. It's where once we've been welcomed, once we feel like we belong— then what rises to the surface are, are the most important things. Sure, we give quick surface-level updates. How was your week? How was work? How was all these things? But really happens as you come around the table together is you have this shared sense of mission and purpose that bubbles up. And we see that as we read through the gospel accounts and we learn in, about the, the rise of the early church is that they had this shared sense of mission and purpose as they were spending time together, that the values and priorities of Jesus start to integrate themselves into the lives of people. And and those are the things that then inform who they are at the table and who they are to the rest of the people as they love God and love other people. It shapes who they are and how they serve and what they do. Um, Daryl Bach in his commentary says this. He says, It is no accident that Jesus is revealed as he sits having table fellowship with the two disciples. The table was a place for fellowship in the ancient world. Here family and friends gather to share time with each other. Luke has underscored the importance of meal scenes throughout his gospel. The table was a place where Jesus was heard and where his presence came across most intimately. This fact suggests that Jesus reveals himself in the midst of the basic moments of life. He is at home in our midst or in the midst of our everyday activity. So I don't think it's a coincidence that when we think about the rise of the early church, if you've ever read or done any study on that, um, if you've read through the, 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 the book of Acts in the New Testament where it talks about the, the groundswell and the rise of the early church, and if you've read any kind of ancient history of the, kind of the progression of the early church, it's no coincidence that those things all happened at people's tables in their homes when they were together. It wasn't for um, many centuries later that the idea of organizing, getting bigger and bigger buildings and facilities and temples and churches became the, the norm. In fact, in the beginning, in the grassroots level, at its most pure form, perhaps you could say, it all happened around the table in people's homes, in their most intimate spaces as they made room. They welcomed each other. They found belonging and identity and a shared sense of mission. 
Um, it, you know, it's, it, that's what helped the church go from hundreds of followers to thousands of followers to hundreds of thousands to millions of followers of Jesus within the first few centuries of the church. It was this radical thing about welcoming people, people that you would never normally spend time with because you were in separate socioeconomic, cultural positions. All these things would all of a sudden find a shared purpose around the table in each other's homes, and it tipped the whole world upside down. And so I've been thinking about this idea of the table and this meal, and I know I started by asking you, who would you love to share a meal with? But let me leave you with this. I, if and when we can eventually be back together again, I wonder if one of the things for us in our learnings as we um, discover about coming back together again, I know we're so excited to do that and we're hopeful for that, is for us to think again about what our homes and our spaces look like. I know physically this table or another table, it's just a simple piece of furniture that holds up our food. But I think it actually can be a place that's much more important for us to be followers of Jesus and to welcome people to the table. That it can be a place of purpose and belonging and mission and it rallies us together. Um, I have so many things I could kind of go in. I wish we could have a little back and forth Q&A, but I think when we eat and drink, you know, when Jesus says, every time you gather, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And I think that really truly happens as we're around the table together. That maybe our tables become the places where we reveal who Jesus is and his kingdom. We help explain the scriptures. We share our lives. We open ourselves up. We extend hospitality to those who need it. Um, someone was once saying, churches sometimes struggle with the idea of what does evangelism look like, what does discipleship look like, and what does compassion look like for the church as these three separate main areas of focus. And someone was says, well, perhaps the table is the place where all three of those come together. Hey, if you're hungry and you need a meal, come on over to my house for dinner. Hey, you want to know what it means to follow Jesus? Come on over to my house for dinner. Hey, you're a follower of Jesus and want to know what it means to be engaged in mission? Come on over for Jesus. Uh, come on over for dinner as we talk about Jesus. I think there's just something for us to discover as we um, consider gathering again together that not that we change what we're doing, but maybe we add to it and we see our homes and our tables as intentional places of mission and purpose as followers of Jesus. So let me just leave it there for the sake of time. Let me pray for you. Blessings to you. I know there's ups and downs through all of what's going on here. And, um, and let me just pray that you are... Um, that you have a sense of what God wants you to do in the season ahead. Um, so let me just pray this prayer for you. Jesus, I just want to pray for sisters and brothers right now that you bring a blessing and healing and comfort during these uncertain times. For those who are feeling lonely and isolated, would they have a sense of your nearness? And as um, things allow, um, would we rediscover the art and the beautiful kind of gospel principle of hospitality, of opening up our homes, of extending our spaces and welcoming the stranger? Uh, would our tables and our homes in our neighborhoods be places of welcome, of belonging, and of purpose and mission so that more people can get to know this Jesus who radically changed everything? I love this story as he's walking with the disciples that he's explaining these things to them, and it's at the table that their eyes are opened. And so we pray that it is at the table as we're sharing space with each other that our eyes are opened, maybe for the first time or in a, in a more deep way to who you are, Jesus, what you're up to around us, and what you're inviting us to participate in. So for my friends at Westside, I just pray blessing and encouragement for Dave and Zach and the rest of the leaders here at the church. So thankful for them, for their faithfulness and their courage and their perseverance. God bless them and lead them. Thank you that we're part of a broader family together. Thank you for moments like this just to read scripture and to consider what it means for us here today. Uh, may we see our tables as, pl as places of um, blessing and mission, Jesus, for you and your kingdom. We pray this in your name.
Amen. Thanks, everyone. Peace.